0: and keynote presentation this evening. Uh, we do believe it's our seventh uh, UQ Compassion Symposium. Um, maybe, uh, it's, uh, Stan looks like he's getting younger each year, so I'll have to get whatever <laughs> you're taking. Um, but to begin, we're very fortunate to have a representative of the durable people here with us this evening who will give us a welcome to country.
1: Yawa, yawa. Hello. Bulkari Maramba Mianjun means welcome to Brisbane. Durable people, I here to represent them and their ancestors. To make you feel warm and welcome. This is all part of their country out here. Um, I'll give you a brief history. When the colonisers came in in the 1800s, um, they spotted a lot of blackfellas along near um, the what's that pub down the road there, <laughs> <laughs> along Coronation Drive and all that. There's a mob of uh, tourable people, and they were. Um, a little bit scared because of the big mom. So uh, eventually the colonizers came in, and outside of slaughtering and um, killing them all off, they also got them to drink alcohol, and alcohol also was a thing that killed our people. Um, you know, you talk, you, you're Suppose him is on compassion. It was lucky there were some people who were humanitarians back in the 1840s who came in and helped the Turbal people. They took some up to Kenilworth. A lot ended up on a mission called Varamba. It's now called Sherbeg today. And that's where I was born, that's where I was raised, with a lot of Turrbal people, Galilee, big Mole from all over. Queensland in New South Wales were taken to She to uh, Baramba. When they were taken out, other mob came in from the Lockyer Valley, want to claim the land. There's five clan groups uh, with the tribal uh, group of uh, Durable from the north and south side, they go west to Gold Creek over at Mogul north to the North Pine, west to the, the beach side, um, and south to Logan. But when they were removed from here, the other mob came in Jagera and other Kabi Kabi and them tried to all claim this land that were durable people. And there was no one left either because they were all removed if they weren't killed. And um, Thomas, Moore, uh, Thomas Duncan was one of the humanitarians and um, Isaac Moore. And I don't know whether there's anything written with those two men, gentlemen, but I'm sure there is in the history books. It's good to read the history books of Brisbane. And now um, how our people were treated. My grandmother, was stolen from a place called Georgetown and brought down to Brisbane and then moved up to Cherbeck. And that was in the early 1900s. She was only about seven, right? Erin and her little brother and another little sister were taken away. They were taken away from their mother. They were taken away from their mother's language. They were taken away from their mother's country. So they didn't grow up then. language. And that's why all the eastern coast of Australia, they lost their languages because they were taking the children away. So they don't grow up with their language. (coughs) So that's one way that they broke down the language. And a lot of us fair-skinned ones, it's not through our desire, it was because a lot of our women were domesticated to go out to work on missions and as such. And so that were some of them women were violated. Violated and sent back into the mission. Half caste kid. Children taken off them, put them in the dormitory, sent out again. So that was how it was all the time on the missions. But that's a, just a brief history of what two people had to go through and survived. Well, lucky they survived. But it's with compassion that those people who helped them back there helped them to survive. And I think this is an important symposium. It's all about compassion. Having compassion for your fellow man. It takes... You know, we all get gully now and again, if you know what gully means. I mean, you get a bit mad and wild with even your own family sometimes. But if I didn't have that compassion, you know, and understanding, I wouldn't survive. I'm a grandmother, I'm a great-grandmother. I come from a large family. Most of us did. I didn't have TVs back then or other distractions or rubbers or whatever else you want to appeal. <laughs> but traditionally, they are a good system in place when man can meet with the wife. Because they needed to separate children by age and years. Because they would walk about people, would walk for the food. So you need a child who could walk, not one on each, one dragon behind, you know, all steps and stairs. They had a good system in place, good marriage system, good law system. L-O-R-E and L-A-W. They had a good system in place. And they're highly spiritual people, my people. Very highly spiritual. Ceremonies for everything, you know? Ceremonies. Ceremonial places. I think Tuong at the regatta, one of them is on a sacred ground, a Bora ground. So um, they. Desecrated a lot of the sacred places around in throughout Brisbane and Queensland, but it's it's on behalf of Marucci and their ancestors that I acknowledge, and i I'll, and you want to acknowledge that the land that you walk on is the footprints of others before you and that you appreciate the land that you live on, and the bush. So I thank you for having me tonight. Not feeling all the best of late. And so, um, but thank you and enjoy the symposium. Well, thank you very much, Uncle Pat.
0: And uh, for tonight, just a few housekeeping uh, matters also, just to remind you all of. Uh, for the tweeters out there, the hashtags are uh, Compassion And Stan likes photos from his left side, if you can. <laughs> um, So there's that part. And also, you would have seen uh, the, the be involved aspect of tonight. So if you can, uh, get your mobile devices out and uh, do the thing to get the thing going. And, um, <laughs> and then put your things into the questions that are being
2: asked. Well explained. <laughs> oh. Yes, uh, thank you very much for coming.
0: Technological. Bye bye. Um, and then just as a, as a final, and just as a, <laughs> and just as a final point, um, uh, it's likely to, to get a bit emotional, so do make sure you have your tissues with you because I suspect it will get a little emotional at times. Uh, and as, a, as a way of that, we've got the wonderful Freya Steindl,
3: uh, to introduce her dad. <laughs> Thank you, welcome everyone. Thank you for being here tonight. Um, it's my pleasure to introduce my dad as the keynote speaker. Um, I was told to give a little bit of a bio about dad, so here it is. Dad is a guitar enthusiast, a comic book nerd, a dog lover, part-time cat lover, Long time fan of the Beatles and loving father. Oh, and he's hilarious. Sorry, almost forgot that. <laughs> um, but he also spends a lot of time in his back cave, focusing on his passion as a clinical psychologist, researcher, teacher, and writer. His book even broke my few years reading sobriety. I'm ready to hear some familiar stories tonight because he talks about compassion a lot. Um, But who knows, I might learn some new things, because we do have tricky brains. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, I won't steal any more of his thunder, so without further ado, please welcome my dad. Oh, sorry, I mean Dr. Stan (laughs) Steindl to the microphone.
2: Beautiful. (laughs) Ah. That um, warms my heart, Freya. Thank you very much. That was lovely. And thanks, James and Alana, as well, in the School of Psychology, for having me tonight to present the keynote uh, on the gifts of compassion and making them count. We'll talk a little bit about compassion and what is compassion, and maybe some of the inhibitors, the things that get in the way, but also starting to explore the motivations, what might it be that might help you to cultivate compassion and self-compassion, perhaps even in your own life. Um, the, oh, that's a large photo, isn't it? But, uh, anyway, um, I'm a clinical psychologist and adjunct associate professor here at UQ, but also a UQ queen, uh, uh, alumni. In fact, I can, this, this was literally the first lecture theater that I ever came to. PY101 or something. I remember sitting up the back with my cousin Peter Steindl and we were sort of giggling. Um, Rod Ashton doing his... Remember Rod Ashton, anyone? Yeah, doing his lectures. And actually, Freya took my thunder here. Yes, I am a a big fan of of Beatles, Batman, chocolate milk and, uh, of course, compassion. But I have... I have... (laughs) I knew this Menti thing was going to be dangerous, and I'm pretty sure I know who wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> James Kirby. No, <laughs> but this is exciting. This is exciting. Because I am going to make tonight just that little bit interactive. And um, uh, so if, if you haven't already, just go to menti.com on your phones, um, and you can type in the code that's up the top there, and the first thing I wanted to ask you was, what words would you say are associated with compassion? What, what kind of comes to mind as you think about compassion? Um, perhaps just, I think you should be able to find, you can type in three words, is that working? It's coming up. Oh, here we go, here we go, empathy, kindness... Obi-Wan Kenobi, yes, that's a, I agree. Um, understanding, thoughtfulness, love. Empathy and kindness sort of seem to be winning so far. Genuine care, acceptance, sensitivity, sensitivity to suffering. Water. Well, that's interesting. It, it actually probably is a, an important act of compassion in certain parts of the world. Um, loving-kindness, non-judgmental, perspective-taking. All right, okay. So that, that's pretty interesting, actually, because we, we, we did a little study. Uh, we did a study, Marcella Matos and Paul Gilbert and our honours and master's students, and we basically asked that question. We asked that question of 584 people. Uh, they were people in Australia and Singapore and, and Portugal, and so there were some differences amongst the different countries. But um, we actually found, it's funny, it, it's sort of what happened just then. The, the top two uh, words that people associated with compassion for others was empathy and kindness. I think they were the biggest words in our little word balloon a moment ago. Empathy, you know, that ability to mentalize the other person, what might that person be thinking or feeling, um, resonating with some of that feeling, being able to take their perspective. And kindness, doing something to the benefit of the other person. What about self-compassion? Now, this might just be the same. It might be the same words that come to mind. or they might be different. I mean, what would be three words now you would associate with self-compassion? Hard. Oh, okay, we'll get on to that. Relaxation, forgiveness, understanding... Oh, here they come. Um, slowing down. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Care. Dog. Yep, I agreed. Uh, kindness is still in there. Acceptance. Acceptance and understanding are starting to... Introspection. Um, self-care. Okay. All right. So a little, little bit different, actually. In fact, in, in, our, in our research... Um, by far the most often chosen word for self-compassion was acceptance, interestingly enough, which is kind of cool because, um, you know, like the opposite in a way of self-compassion is self-criticism, and so in a sense, self-compassion is is kind of more a sort of a non-judgmental, perhaps even accepting, um, acceptance kind of point of view. So um, yeah, so it's interesting. What is compassion, really? And, and so there, there I am with Professor Paul Gilbert. Um, actually, that, that's a, an AHA t-shirt. Does anyone here, perhaps you don't know AHA? Some of the you know, 50-somethings might have come across them. One hit wonders. Oh, they had more than that. But um. And the last concert I went to before COVID was an AHA concert. Oh, would you believe it? That's the, uh, my sister laughs loudly. Um, that was the, the T-shirt. Anyway, Paul Gilbert says that compassion is a sensitivity to suffering in self and others with a commitment to try to alleviate and prevent it. And actually, there's a lot in there. It's a, it's a sensitivity to suffering. So that's actually important. You know, maybe that's where it's a bit different or aligned to to, uh, kindness, Uh, you know, compassion is about suffering. Kindness might be doing something to benefit another person. Compassion might be doing something to help when they're suffering. Um, In self and others, so right in the definition, although it's hard, as someone said, uh, uh, compassion is about self and others. It's about flows of compassion. And it's with a commitment to try. It's not always easy to help or alleviate suffering but it's a kind of a a motivation or it's a commitment to try to to do these things to try to alleviate and prevent the suffering i remember i wrote a paper once and i i put the definition in there but i wrote compassion is a sensitivity to suffering in self and others with a commitment to try to alleviate it and then i got an email from paul gilbert and he was like no 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 it's alleviate and prevent And of course he's right, you know, like compassion is also about trying to address the the, the, perhaps the causes of future suffering. In fact, nowadays I think he's kind of also adding that compassion is about helping people to flourish as well. But there's a number of qualities that we try to work with. In fact, in compassion-focused therapy or compassionate mind training, we circle back to these three qualities. Uh, quite often, repeatedly in a way, we try to come back to wisdom, strength and courage, and a caring commitment. Aristotle is said to have said, courage is the first virtue, because, what is it? Makes all the other virtues possible. <laughs> um, and Well, it does, you know, courage. We need courage to be honest. We need courage to love. Uh, and we need courage to be compassionate. But, um, yeah, so wisdom. Wisdom, really, from a compassion point of view, this is that awareness, that insight into the non personal nature of, of life. The, the way that we are born with tricky brains um, that we didn't get to choose, with genes, strengths, and weaknesses that we also didn't get to choose. And then things start to happen. A lot of that we don't get to choose, but a lot of that starts to shape us and who we become, and and how our minds start to work. And and so compassionate wisdom, an important catchphrase, is, you know, it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility. And that's the compassionate wisdom, being able to de-shame given so much is outside of our choice. But at the same time, we know that our minds can learn and grow and change, and so we can take responsibility uh, for things that might lead to suffering in in others and ourselves. Strength and courage. Strength, groundedness, calmness, stillness, confidence, emotional courage. A lot of that comes actually from some some of the body work, you know, using the breath or the body to try to create that sense of groundedness and stability. Um, After all, in compassion, we are approaching suffering. We're approaching sometimes the very dark side, of what it is to be human, and it takes a lot of that strength and courage to do all of that. And finally, a caring commitment. Uh, Given what we know about the nature of the human experience and the nature of suffering, we have this deeply felt wish to uh, alleviate that suffering, to, to be caring and supportive and encouraging and helpful. In fact, that's another nice little... Uh, catchphrase I guess in compassion is may I be helpful rather than harmful towards myself and others. May I be helpful rather than harmful towards myself and others and that's the caring commitment. So I'm going to throw it over to you again briefly if you can grab your phones once more. This is a little ranking sort of an exercise. How would you rank those three qualities in terms of what feels most important to you. Now, another way to think about that too, I think, is what, which one do you feel maybe you could start to work on next? You know, is it to cultivate wisdom around this non-personal nature of, of what it is to be human and how to de-blame and, and so on? Is it strength and courage and being able to find that groundedness in the body? Or is it a caring commitment? being able to um, really be helpful, uh, you know, wherever possible. This is very interesting. Um, Oh, it's sort of... mm, mm, mm. But um, they're all quite close, aren't they? They're all really important. Wisdom seems to be ranked first. It's it's quite interesting, though, because they all relate to each other. You know, we, we need the wisdom to help cultivate the caring. Um, we need the strength to be able to support the caring, but we need the caring in terms of how we might approach the wisdom. So they all sort of move together and work together. We we don't have a clear winner, so that's good news, actually. But where do we start to get into contact with compassion? Where do we start to to learn um, and develop compassion within ourselves? And oftentimes, it's through our own suffering actually. That can be where we really start to learn about, to develop, to, to sort of, uh, up it comes. It bubbles up, our own compassionate motivation. Nikki Taylor was a supermodel back when I was a younger man. And I uh, don't know if you've, I think she's still a supermodel actually. She, she was the cover girl of Cover Girl um, magazine. <laughs> this is sounding worse live than it was when I <laughs> wrote that slide. But anyway. Um, but she actually had some real tragedy. She lost her uh, sister, her older sister, when she was still a teenager. Some years later, she had a very a terrible car accident and, and you know, really affected her and her life and her well-being. And she said, my greatest life lesson has been that life can change in a second. This is why it's important to always live your best possible life and to do what you can for others. There's the compassion piece. And so let me tell you a story of my own experiences. This is Freya gazing out at us from the the screen. Freya was born in 2002, and she was just the most gorgeous little baby. She had rosebud lips and silky skin, And as you can see, she had like a sort of perfectly round head. Uh, It was incredible. Um, And of course, I was besotted and, you know, I wrote poetry and I wrote songs and we played in the sand and and so on. It was a glorious time when Freya was born. Um, But at about eight months of age, things got very difficult. In fact, at eight months, she basically what happened was her, her gut stopped working. Now, I did, I did, mention, I did mean to mention this, that I actually have phrase consent to, dis, <laughs> to discuss some of what we're talking about. But her gut stopped working. She stopped thriving. Um, it was very difficult. She was losing weight. And then one day, uh, had to go in for emergency surgery, had to go straight to hospital. Um, and uh, I remember arriving at the hospital and by some random chance, there was Freya kind of up in the window. She was sort of leaning against the glass like this and sort of looking down. And, and I can still picture her, you know, this sort of grey-faced and, and sort of um, drawn, those, you know, those blue machines around her kind of, you know, doing their thing. And you see what I mean? Like this, up, up comes compassion. You can't help but feel compassion, especially when it's your own child who's suffering and there's this, this desire, this need to be helpful and to do something to help her feel comfortable, feel safe, feel connected, uh, feel close. Um, and so her mother and I were just, were very particular about trying to create that sense of safeness for her. That, you know, she would say, you know, is it nearly all done? Is it nearly all done? And we'd say, yes, it's nearly all done. And I was going to get a bit emotional during some of this, um, and you can imagine, you know, there's the courage too, isn't it? You know, like we need that courage to be able to approach suffering like that. I went home that evening to pick up a few things, and you know, there were the toys on the floor where they'd been left. There was the the books, you know, open where they'd been read, and. Um, very, you know, this confronting experience of, of having to be so close in contact to suffering. But the compassion was there, the, the, the sort of that, that innate urge to try to alleviate and prevent that suffering. It was funny, though, too, because a lot of people would, <laughs> uh, you know, they, they, well, actually everyone rallied, let's put it that way, you know, friends and family, they wanted to be there. They, they, they would reach out with very genuine desire to be helpful and they'd sort of ring and say like what, what's, how, what's happening, how's it going? But I found it just so difficult to open myself up to that, you know, it was, it was painful to have to, you know, sort of open myself up to receiving that compassion. You know, sometimes I'd always feel, I'd almost feel a little bit begrudging, you know, like I'd have to report back the facts of, you know, what the latest thing was or something to this person, you know, not really feeling able to engage with compassion. Um, until one day, I, because um, I was having this thing, Freya couldn't eat, and so I didn't really want to eat either, to be honest, you know, like I'd kind of stopped eating, and, and, um, and then one day my mum, Dorothy Steindl, um, <coughs> who I won't look at just at this moment, um, arrived at the hospital with a chocolate milk, and she said, you know, how about you just have this? Let's just have the chocolate milk, um, give you a few calories, keep you going. And I sort of thought, yes, okay. And that was this moment of just feeling like, okay, I can now open myself up to receiving compassion as well. So things progressed, it took quite a long time. Freya still manages quite beautifully all, all of her various bits and pieces. Um, but we did have a, um, a sort of a breakthrough surgery at one stage. When she was about three, Dr. Peter Borsey, uh, who's a paediatric surgeon, he did, he did a sort of a, 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 a particular surgery that actually meant that we didn't now, we weren't going on a, on a pretty worrying trajectory with, with other types of treatments and surgeries and so on. But now we were able to kind of, you know, get things going and, and so on, have a, a little bit more normal life and it's funny actually because um compassion uh, sorry freya too really started to cultivate compassion herself too in in the world the people she loved the nurses she, the doctors eh not so much the nurses you know they were so caring and kind and, and playful actually playfulness is a big part of compassion humor is a big part of compassion as well and she loved the nurses And so we, um, you know, she had, well, she had plenty of medical type gear from the hospitals. And, of course, now she's in third year at QUT, studying nursing. So she really turned her own experiences, her own lived experiences, into this journey towards compassion as well. Um, Then, of course, we had Harry, my son, who, by the way, he's actually right now, in this moment, he is um, at his year 12 formal. So, yeah, actually you didn't make me feel any better by (laughs) how you reacted to that. But yes, I suspect there's gonna be stories to hear tomorrow morning. I'm actually going and picking him up at 2 a.m. from the uh, the post, from the post, the post formal. Yes, so, so yes, now. Any guesses? Which part of compassion was I still missing at that stage? I think it's probably pretty obvious. Any guesses? Self-compassion, thank you, yes, excellent. Self-compassion! There it is. Exactly, and actually it took me some time, it wasn't until 2014... That I went to a mindful self-compassion retreat in, in uh, Joshua Tree, uh, S- uh, Southern California, uh, with Kristen Neff and Chris Germer. Uh, it was funny, actually. I, I arrived at the L.A. airport, and um, you know, those, those American kind of, um, I guess, customs officers, you know they're always so serious and, and dour. And he sort of said to me, um, "So what are you in the U.S. to do?" or something?" And I thought to myself, oh, well, I'll tell him. So I said, well, I'm here to do a mindful self-compassion retreat. And he said, what's that about? And I said, well, I think what we're going to do is sit on cushions in a big, <laughs> big circle and learn to be kinder to ourselves. <laughs> and he goes, don't they teach you that in Australia? <laughs> and he smiled. He smiled. It uh, was like a triumph. Anyway, <laughs> oddly enough, actually, it, it's exactly what it was. We, we sat on cushions in a big circle, learned to be um, more compassionate towards ourselves. And actually, 2014 went on to be a, a big year. We, uh, it was when I did my first training with, with Paul Gilbert on CFT. It was when we had our inaugural Compassion Symposium. Uh, Professor James Doty presented the first thing. It was a, it was a big year. But I was just going to say that, that it, it's sort of interesting, really. We, 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 th- this is a little study that um, we did recently as well, looking at uh, trauma, compassion and post-traumatic growth. Uh, and this was a kind of a COVID study. We, we had about four, over 4,000 people. In fact, some of you may have very well filled out these questionnaires, I suspect, <laughs> some dots. Yeah, 4,000 people from 21 countries. We measured social connection through compassion variable and and social safeness variable. We measured the perceived threat of COVID-19 and we measured post-traumatic growth. And it was interesting because actually social connection, compassion and social safeness is key to how people adapt and cope with the the trauma of the threatening experiences, such as COVID-19, and may then also facilitate post-traumatic growth. Um, in fact, it's interesting too, because often the post-traumatic growth that we experience is com- to compassion itself as well. Uh, and so th- th- that, that lived experience, I think, especially of suffering, or the things that are, are difficult. I remember James Doty saying to the audience, and it probably applies tonight as well, you know, everyone here has or is or will, suffer in some kind of way. Uh, and compassion arises out of all of that. So we have the three flows of compassion. Compassion for others, uh, receiving compassion from others, and being compassionate towards oneself, or self-compassion. Actually, keen to get your vote here. Um, Which of those three do you find most difficult, do you think? Um, Would it be most difficult? to be compassionate towards others, to, to, you know, to giving compassion? Or is it more difficult to open yourself up to receiving compassion? Or is, in fact, is it self-compassion that is the trickiest? One person said compassion for others. <laughs> who, we, who we are all compassionate towards, that person. Um, but compassion from others, oh, three now, three, good. <laughs> compassion from others and self-compassion. Uh, well, self-compassion wins in the sense, is the, is the hardest. But actually, if you think about it, I suppose, receiving compassion from others and self-compassion are both about being on the receiving end in a way. So that probably makes a bit of sense. I remember feeling particularly, um, yes, I remember feeling particularly difficult around the receiving compassion. I remember at the mindful self-compassion retreat, I said to Chris Germer, you know, that I, I just feel sort of like I don't deserve compassion and uh, sort of poured my heart out to him. And, and he goes, well, Stan, you'll probably always feel that way. <laughs> and I was, I was like, Chris, can, can't you give me something more than that? Anyway, but he's, what he said was what changes is how you start to relate to yourself when you feel that way. And that's the thing, I think, with compassion and self-compassion. It's not about not suffering or never having to do so again. It's about being able to bring compassion to yourself, to yourself when you do have those, those difficulties. So we have fears, blocks, and resistances to compassion. That's the thing. We all kind of experience a lot of that. Fears. Uh, when compassion literally activates the fear response, the fight-flight response. We feel um, anxious about compassion. We feel avoidant towards compassion. And that can exist across the three flows. You know, compassion from others will make me seem weak and vulnerable. Um, People will take advantage of me and my compassion. Uh, Being compassionate towards myself will expose me too much to painful feelings and I'll just feel worse. This, this is a tricky one, actually, that last one, because you know, at that mindful self-compassion, one of the little tricks I learned when you meditate and do loving kindness, for example, towards yourself, it's actually quite useful to just slightly tilt your head back so all the tears and snots and all of that you know, doesn't sort of fall in your lap, basically, because it's emotional stuff. In fact, they call it backdraft. When you're starting to be compassionate towards yourselves, it's a bit like the fire person touching the door just to see, you know, if they open the door, are the flame's going to come bursting out. And we, that's what we experience with self-compassion quite often is, uh, you know, sort of painful feelings. We're going, we're, we're approaching our own suffering. Blocks are where we would like to be compassionate, but for one reason or another, we, we can't, or, you know, something is getting in the way. Um, for example, lack of time or lack of resources. Um, maybe a lack of insight or understanding about suffering and the nature of suffering. Or the, the big one too, I think, is just not being quite sure what to do to be helpful. You know, I don't, I don't really know what to say to help that person. I don't really know what to do. Examples like, I don't know how to be compassionate towards others. Uh, I really don't deserve compassion from others. There's that one. Uh, I should be compassionate towards others but being compassionate towards myself is too self-indulgent. And then we have certain resistances. So this is the one where the person perhaps could be compassionate, uh, but isn't. You know, not because of fear and so on, but actually a big one is because they're in, a, they're in a bit of a different motivational system right now, for example. They're in a competitive motivation rather than a compassionate motivation and so they're more concentrating on sort of hold and control you know what they've got rather than sharing and and so on Um, compassion is stupid or foolish it's dog eat dog out there and you need to be tough not running for help every two seconds Um, or self-compassion feels too much like self-pity I've done quite a lot of work with combat veterans and and that's a big one for them they worry a lot about compassion or self-compassion especially sounding too much like self-pity But these are always there. Yeah, well, that is a problem, I must admit. You need to share. No hoarding of toilet paper. So, but it's actually, it's interesting, because a lot of you might sort of at first say, oh, I don't really have fears, blocks, and resistance. Maybe that's not so much in, in this audience. But it actually sometimes... Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. We want to keep an eye out for it. We want to sort of notice it. For example, um, in some of our uh, movies and so on, Henry Ducard was Bruce's, mar- I-, I call him Bruce. But uh, <laughs> Henry Ducard was Bruce Wayne's uh, martial arts teacher. He later became, uh, Raz- thank you, yes, Raz al Ghul. Um, that was a very excited answer there. Like- <laughs> You're like, yes, I know this one. Anyway, Henry Ducard said, your compassion is a weakness your enemies will not share. Fears of compassion. Bruce says, that's why it's so important. It separates us from them. Very wise. (laughs) All right. But let's talk about self-compassion. And in fact, let's have a little think a bit more about fears, blocks, and resistances to self-compassion in particular. I feel that I don't deserve to be kind and compassionate to myself. Getting on in life is about being tough rather than compassionate. If I'm self-compassionate, I'll feel overcome with grief and sadness. If I become kinder, less critical to myself, my standards will drop. I would not know where to begin to develop compassion for myself. I find it easier to be critical towards myself rather than compassionate. This is coming from the Gilbert et al. uh, paper, which describes the fears of compassion scale. Um, but what are your fears, blocks or resistances to self-compassion? Um, perhaps in a, in a few words, if you, if you can type into the, into the app there. Like, what's your hunch? What, what do you think might cause your reservations? Okay, insecure attachment. Well, compassion is a very relational process, isn't it? Um, guilt. Guilt's interesting. We could talk a lot about guilt, actually, and where that fits in, but we won't. Um, it feels like work, it's autopilot, um, afraid to be vulnerable, time, so there's a block, you know, not having the time. Um, self-compassion may not fix the issue, I don't have time, don't want to appear weak, uh, my own emotional capacity, vulnerability, high standards, dealing with idiots, Yeah, I can relate to actually all of those. Um, so we did a, another little study that's trying to look, what, how can we work with our fears, blocks, and resistances. Uh, we, are, we interviewed a whole bunch of compassion-focused therapy therapists about what it is that they do to work with fears, blocks, and resistances. Um, the first thing is to understand their function and their origins. You know, the reality is that our fears, blocks, and resistances to compassion are often coming from a threat protection function. Often it is because of origins around attachment experiences, or experiences, emotional or relational experiences, growing up can be a part of how we develop those fears, blocks, and resistances. Um, so we try to de-shame through understanding our tricky brain. I, I think I do say that a lot. That we have tricky brains because even Priya has mentioned that in her introduction. Um, but we do. We have tricky brains, um, and we, you know, part of that, part of what's built in is these fears, blocks, and resistances. It's also important to explore the definition of compassion, really. And that's that's why I spent a bit of time on that right at the beginning. Like, what is compassion? Um, The fear might be about compassion being too much like self-pity, but actually compassion's very different to Um, self-pity. Self-compassion might not be um, snuggling up on the couch in your doona, you know, eating ice cream and watching Netflix. I mean, it might be self-compassion for some of you, but it might also not be. Actually, self-compassion might be about going out for that walk. You know. Well, for me, right at the moment, it's getting my taxes done. That's what would be a self-compassionate action right now. Self-compassion isn't necessarily what feels good. It's about what's good for us, good for our well-being and our health, making decisions, sometimes the tough decisions. And so being aware around the definitions of compassion practicing experiential interventions, actually getting started. By the end of tonight, shortly, we'll we'll see what you might commit to, actually, in terms of getting started. Small steps um, uh, and cultivating safeness and connection. All of that can often be really important as we start to cultivate self-compassion. I was part of a chapter in in this book, Making an Impact on Mental Health, edited by Dr James Kirby and uh, Professor Paul Gilbert. But we looked at shame memories. Shame experiences and, and shame memories are often a very important part of the origins of these negative beliefs around receiving care and compassion from others or from ourselves. Uh, and there's a really difficult double bind there too, where shame and shame memories, is often, they often increase psychological distress. And at the very same time, they reduce our openness to seek and receive the support we need uh, from others or from ourselves in order to suffer less. So understanding those origins, those emotional and relational memories, can often be a really important part of starting to cultivate compassion for ourselves. But it also happens the other way around. This is a study with an honours student of mine, Alison Creed, And uh, we found, we we looked at um, shame memories and how they predicted depression, but perhaps self-compassion was able to also mediate that relationship. So our skills and our abilities to be compassionate towards ourselves in the face of life difficulties might actually help reduce the negative effects of traumatic shame memories uh, on our psychological well-being and also promote feelings of safeness, connection, contentment and so on. So there's an interesting kind of other way around. In some ways, shame memories can get in the way of our self-compassion, but also self-compassion can sometimes be the pathway through those difficult, traumatic shame memories as well. And so we start where we can. We take small steps. Um, we, We start by directing compassion to yourself in the context of life difficulties that are maybe mild or moderate. And we direct compassion to those parts of yourself that are a little easier or a little less threatening. Uh, and then we just make our way slowly up the ladder, doing little, little self-compassionate actions just to help ourselves along the way. <clears throat> so how to cultivate a compassionate motivation? Well, um, the first thing to say is that self-compassion helps. This is the uh, meta-analysis by James Kirby, Cassie Telligen, and myself. I was very lucky to be involved in that. Yeah. Congratulate yourself there,
1: James.
2: (laughs) This is about me, big fella. Um, Anyway, we looked at compassion-based interventions, uh, 21 different randomized controlled trials, uh, total of 1,285 participants across those, those trials. Um, and compassion based interventions were found to increase compassion and self compassion and mindfulness, uh, but also it led to improvements in depression, anxiety, psychological distress, and also improvements in psychological well being and happiness. So there's reasons there to really try to work on cultivating our self compassion. But this is the thing all right, how do we cultivate the self compassionate motivation? Well, we sort of find our way through, we navigate our way through the fears, blocks and resistances, which are likely there, and certain reasons, certain benefits, certain motivations that might actually help us to to get connected with self-compassion. So we developed another measure, which psychologists seem to like doing. Uh, both, well, myself, James and Cassie again, and and also some others. What we did here was we looked at um, motivational interviewing, which is another one of, or the other, one of my professional loves is motivational interviewing. But motivational interviewing gives us some ideas. What is it that helps to motivate behaviour change? What is it that might help to motivate action? And so we we wondered, perhaps that can tell us a bit about how to motivate self-compassionate action. So, we developed the compassion, motivation, and action scales. (laughs) Um, It has compassion and self-compassion scales built in. And we have intention, distress tolerance, and action subscales. Um, Intention was a bit about desire, reasons, need for self-compassion. Distress tolerance was a bit about coping and ability to be self-compassionate. And action, of course, was people taking steps, taking steps to be more self-compassionate in their lives. And so, yes, this was a nice, little, reliable, valid measure of compassion and self-compassion motivation. Um, and actually, it's quite useful. I use it in my practice just to see you know, at the beginning and at the end, you know, does the person's self-compassionate action start to change? across the the work that we're doing so this is where as we come a little bit towards the end i'm going to start to explore your motivations for self-compassion starting with desire reason and need this is the intention stuff uh, for self-compassion for example i want to be supportive towards myself when i face disappointments in my life Uh, being compassionate towards myself will improve my overall well-being And being accepting of myself will help improve my quality of life. So what about you? What would be some of your reasons for being more self-compassionate? Now, you might even just use sort of one word or brief phrase kind of ideas here. What would be some reasons to be more self-compassionate? Feeling tired? I mean, that's yes, I feel like that's a really good indicator that perhaps it's time for some self-compassion. I feel like I should. Okay, that's an interesting one. If if you were sitting with me in a room, I'd explore that and see what, you know, that means for you. Um, Reduce stress, more peacefulness, be a better parent. Actually, that's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes when we get the flows balanced, compassion for others, compassion for the self, then actually, you know, we can keep that going now. You know, we can make that sustainable, our compassion for others. Um, to improve mental health, I am human. Yes, another great Chris Germer quote, I hadn't thought to mention this one, but one of the things he said is that actually self-compassion is just widening your, compassion of, widening your circle of compassion to also include yourself. That's kind of all it is in a way. You know, you're a human too, or you're a living being in fact. And so that's, we offer our compassion to living beings to enjoy life more, to alleviate suffering, to face failure. Okay, thank you. Next bit, coping and ability. So this is sort of the distress tolerance piece, uh, but it's also sort of the how piece of self-compassion. So I'm confident that I can be kind and caring towards myself when struggling with problems. I have the ability to be supportive of myself when I feel like I have failed. I'm able to cope with facing my own struggles in order to be kind to myself. I can cope with the difficult feelings that come with attending to my own needs. So over to you once again. If you were to be more self-compassionate, how would you go about it? What might you do? What might be the first little step that you might take? Self-compassionate action. Little things like, um, you know, taking the dog for a walk or getting my taxes done. Uh, Forgiveness. Oh, forgiveness. Self-forgiveness is very powerful. Rest, slow down, smoke less cigarettes. There you go. Sleep more. Talk to myself more kindly. Tone of voice and tone of inner voice. Actually, that can often be a really great place to start is just to change the tone of our inner voice, how we talk to ourselves, to kind of more more warm and friendly tones. Um, Boundaries is a really important example of self-compassion, being able to establish good, clear boundaries with others. Taking time to rest, uh, present moment, sleep hygiene, self-hugs, sounds nice. All right, and finally, self-compassionate action Uh, over the past week I've been more kind and caring towards myself uh, than usual I have been taking steps over the past week to show myself more self-compassion I've been treating myself in a more gentle and caring way over the past week I mean imagine that imagine you think through that You, you sort of desire reasons and need you have this clarity around what the reasons are to be more self-compassionate. You have a sense of ability. Maybe I can do this, and perhaps this is how. And then you actually get to a point where you think to yourself, huh, I've actually been doing it. This last week, I've been more compassionate towards myself. So the final question for you, and, and this is a bit of a motivational interviewing question, it's the commitment question. Leaving here what is one self-compassionate action that you will take? And perhaps you can even start the sentence with, I will. (laughs) Get off social media. Share my struggles with others to lighten the load. Yo, mum. (laughs) Uh, I'll acknowledge it, connect with people more, say no more, get off my phone... I've been, I, I actually feel bad because I'm holding my phone the, the whole night. I'm using it as the remote, just in case. I'm, I'm not checking Facebook. Say no when I need to say so and stick with it. Five minutes daily to meditate. I'll connect with my wife. I'll finish my thesis and not have a complete <laughs> little breakup. Oh. Well, I, I did mention we start small, everyone. Was that you? I'll be gentler to myself, I'll prioritise rest, I'll exercise, not drink. I'll pu- I will pause when instead of pushing on, even just for a moment. Very nice. Beautiful. All right. Well, everyone, that's coming to the end. So the, these, these gifts of compassion, I think, you know, like actually even just that notion, what is compassion? You know, it's a gift for us. It's built in, actually. Evolution has built compassion in and given this, uh, this motivation, this, this tendency towards caring for others, allowing, uh, opening ourselves to being cared for. Um, and there's the definition and the qualities, wisdom, strength and courage, a caring commitment. And, of course, life lessons across the three flows. You know, in, in a, I mean, I would certainly much prefer that Freya not go through all that she went through, but, but given that she has... There are gifts there for her and I, I think, in terms of cultivating compassion across the three flows. We have those fears, blocks and resistances, and we have that around self-compassion especially. But we can start to work through the the inhibitors, the facilitators, the things that get in the way versus the things that might motivate us and get us over the line to actually follow through on some of those those commitments, enhancing the motivation, making the commitment. So thank you very much, everyone. I really appreciate you coming along and having me, and I hope that's been interesting and helpful. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh,
0: well, well, thanks, Stan. That was amazing. Uh, it, it, it's hard to keep a captive audience in the Friday evening at 7 So thank you very much for sacrificing to be here for starters. Um, but also, secondly, um, to do it in such an enthusiastic and, and kind of charming way, uh, it was it was real honour to listen to uh, this evening. Uh, and to finish up tonight, there is a chance to purchase Stan's book, uh, Gifts of Compassion, tonight as well. So it'll be up here at the front desk here. We'll set some of the books up and, uh, with Freya there. and Do come up and say hello to Freya too. Um, as well, uh, up the front, uh, selling the book. It can be paid by credit card. Uh, but also, <laughs> we have to be out here by 8 30, so I'll be compassionately forceful with people <laughs> out of the room. But we do have 20 minutes if you want to mingle and kind of hang around for a little bit, otherwise, you will have to leave. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for coming tonight. I look forward to seeing people tomorrow. Thank you tomorrow. Thanks,
2: you, Thank you. Thank you very much, everyone.